All the latest business news from WA, delivered daily. At close of business, news briefing. Good afternoon and welcome to the At Close of Business podcast. I'm Isabel Vieira with your Wednesday afternoon headlines. Pastoralists and Graziers Association of WA President Tony Seabrook has warned the Premier will proceed at his own peril if the government pushes ahead with the planned July 1st rollout of the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Laws. Mr Seabrook made the comments as an online petition which has garnered more than 29,000 signatures in just two weeks was presented to Parliament. Standing alongside senior members of the opposition party at Parliament House, Mr Seabrook claimed a lack of regulatory infrastructure and ambiguity around the legislation would bring work in the state to a grinding halt. The petition called for the government to hold off rolling out the laws for at least six months due to concerns around a range of factors, including the lack of an up-and-running regulatory structure. More than 40 organisations have applied for local Aboriginal cultural heritage services status, while existing native title groups will need to manage the applications until a service is up and running. Mr Seabrook went beyond the requests of the petition to delay the rollout and said the state should reform the laws entirely. He said the Premier and government are absolutely tone-deaf to what's happening out in the bush. The Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act was supported in Parliament by the state opposition, but WA Liberal Party leader Libby Metham stopped short of saying the opposition regretted its stance on the bill but claimed the legislation was rushed through Parliament. In mining news, BHB is planning to install up to 500 megawatts of green energy in the Pilbara so it can switch its whole trucks from diesel to batteries. The miner said today it was on track to achieve a 30% reduction in operational greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 from its financial year 2020 levels. The biggest challenge in the pursuit of that goal is cutting the use of diesel, with whole trucks being the largest user of diesel in Australia. In a presentation today updating its its decarbonisation strategy, Vice President of Planning and Technical Anna Wiley says its preferred pathway was to eliminate diesel via electrification. She said this was more efficient than switching to hydrogen. The strategy would include installing batteries in its whole trucks. BHB has developed operating prototypes with truck manufacturers and plans to commence operating trials over the next two years with a view to deploy battery-powered trucks by 2028. It anticipates the overall operating cost of battery-powered trucks would be comparable to diesel trucks but acknowledged several unknowns. For instance, battery trucks may require charging more frequently, which could require more truck hours to produce the same volume of output. Battery life may be shorter than the life of a truck, in which case batteries would need to be replaced. The company is planning to spend about US $4 billion between now and 2030 to decarbonise its global operations. About 40% of that will be spent on its WA iron ore business in the Pilbara. And lastly, Rio Tinto has given the green light on a $733 million investment to bump production at its copper mine in the United States. The mining giant will pour the $733 million investment into developing underground mining and infrastructure at a new area of the Kennecott copper mine. The development is expected to deliver an additional 250,000 tonnes of mined copper from the area over the next decade alongside open-cut operations. 
the entire Kennecott operation, which is the second largest copper producer in the United States, currently produces around 148,000 tonnes of mined copper from open-cut operations. In September, Rio approved an $81 million investment to start underground mining in an area known as the Lower Commercial Scarn at the Kennecott operation, with production of that starting in February. The Lower Commercial Scarn area is expected to deliver an additional 30,000 tonnes of additional mined copper through to 2027. Totaling about $814 million, the two investments into Kennecott Copper Operation are part of Rio's plan to build a world-class underground mine which will leverage battery electric vehicle technology. That's all from me. Up next on the podcast, journalists Jack McGinn and Simone Grogan discuss the state's relationships with trade partners, including China. The business world is teeming with opportunities to succeed and every day is a chance for the ambitious to learn, know and grow. Over recent years, we have built the greatest business journalist team in WA, delivering you the most trusted, comprehensive, intelligent and up-to-date news across every sector, every platform, every day. No fluff, all informative stuff. At Business News, we believe progress boils down to one simple habit. That is, what you subscribe to today shapes what you will become tomorrow. Subscribe to success. Subscribe to Business News. Visit businessnews.com.au forward slash subscribe for more information. Hello and welcome back to the At Close of Business podcast. Uh, This is Simone Grogan. I'm here with senior journalist Jack McGinn. How are you doing today, Jack? Good, thanks, Simone. How are you? Excellent. Yeah, really well, thank you. Um, We are here to talk about your latest feature for BN Magazine, which was on Asian engagement. We run this every year, and you were tasked with handling that special feature. Uh, It was a great read. I really enjoyed it. Really wide-ranging, covered off on a lot of topics. Um, Let's get straight into it. This article was largely centred around um, a event you went to that was attended by now Premier Roger Cook. Um, you heard him speak at a committee for Perth meeting. Um, he gave a glimpse into his view of WA's place in the world. What did he have to say and what surprised you about it? Well, yeah, it was an interesting one because that committee for Perth meeting, uh, just, you know, you get invited to things and you go along to them sometimes. And this was one that I went along to and wasn't really sure what to expect at the time. Uh, Roger Cook was appearing in his capacity as uh, Minister for State Development. Oh, of course, before so, it all kicked off. Before it all kicked <laughs> off. In fact, I think it was a week before it kicked off. Yeah. So, you know, I got the uh, privilege of shaking the 2B Premier's hand <laughs> and him treating me, you know, very nicely as a journalist in the room, the only journalist in the room. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Always a nice feeling. Yes. But um, look, Roger Cook expressed a view that we've heard from the state government uh, quite a bit. Um, over the years, particularly over the last few years. And, and basically that view is that he considers his backyard to be Southeast Asia mm. rather than the Eastern States. Mm. And it was quite a, it was just something that made me think a little bit. So I'm sitting there and the, the event was in the BDO offices uh, on St. George's or just off St. George's. And the window that I was sitting next to was looking out over the freeway. And so sort of as he was talking, the morning commute was building up and up and up and the cars were going slower and slower and slower, Hmm. which, you know, it made me grateful that I wasn't on the freeway. Um, But it also made me think that at the same time as this was all happening, the same rush was happening in, you know, all of the countries to our north. We share our time zone with enormous economies and 
that same rush would have happened two hours earlier on the East Coast. Mm. So he was talking about a little bit of an um, economic, I suppose, disconnect. He made the comments in relation to trying to attract funding from the East Coast. He said that he had real issues with cut-through attracting funding in terms of less so government at the moment, he said, but certainly in terms of private investment, he said uh, at certain points it felt like we didn't exist. So those were strong words. Uh, and it made me think a little bit about, you know, our, our, our time zone, um, the way that our government has been strong on its messaging around Asia um, and some of the things that have happened recently. You know, Mark McGowan, when he was the Premier, he took that trip to China in, in April. That was the first in many years. Um, we had a return delegation uh, come back to Perth later that week, in the same week as, as Roger Cook made that appearance. So, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting little, little tidbit um, that probably gained a bit more relevance following the events of the following week, mm. um, which we covered in depth. Certainly. And he's um, kept that portfolio, the state development portfolio. He certainly has. So he is is actually expanded now. So it's it's state and industry development. Yeah. Did um, we find out what that, that exactly means or are we still a bit unclear? We've got a line of questioning in with the uh, <laughs> with the minister's got office it. at the moment. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, no, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of that one, I'm yeah, sure. Hopefully. Uh, one thing I really liked that you did with the article um, was your angle about WA's relative embrace of China and how that's at odds with what we've seen federally. I thought that was a really good way of putting it. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so I'm a, um, looking back on, on my background a little bit, I'm a, I've got a degree in international relations as well as journalism. So this has always been something that's, that's sort of interested me. Western Australia has, well, Australia has a, an interesting relationship with China in that we are very economically tied uh, to China and to the Asian region more broadly, but in particular China. But we are very ideologically aligned with Western nations like the US, the UK. Um, and that can put us in an interesting position at times. But recently, WA has taken some real steps to embrace China at a time when the East Coast probably hasn't been doing as much. Um, we often see our politicians, particularly post-COVID, as being quite combative with the East Coast politicians. Um, the state's really ramped up that us, up, us versus them rhetoric mm. um, on things like GST, on things like investment, mm-hmm. on things like COVID strategy as well. So uh, that was you know, part of that popularity that the government has experienced has come from that approach. Um, but we are dependent on the federal government's Um, approach to diplomacy uh, because really politics federally are about sort of diplomacy more so than than state politics that's more about you know jobs and growth and 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 trade Um, so it's been interesting to watch how our government has sort of maybe taken a few more steps than the federal government has been willing to take Um, there has been a a mooted trip by Anthony Albanese um, to China at least there was a time of writing but that was played down pending, you know, some resolution to some of the trade uh, restrictions that have been in place. And those trade trade restrictions are a really fascinating thing. A lot of the tension that's around now between Australia and China goes back to that COVID period mm. um, when there was the uh, Australian calls for an investigation into the origins of COVID. And it, it's remarkable, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago, but there was a, a dossier that was handed to media in, in November 2020 that had a list of 14 grievances from China as a state towards Australia. And it's just fascinating stuff. It's, it's you know, things like um, banning Huawei um, from the rollout of 5, 5G, um, foreign interference laws, 
the calls for the origins of the coronavirus inquiry, um, speaking out on South China Sea, uh, allegations of human rights violations, um, cyber attacks. You know, there's been all this like lingering tension between the federal government and the Chinese government over many years. And that puts us in a really interesting spot where where our economy is so dependent on China. So we need to maintain that relationship. And, um, you know, I think over here, our economy has been able to maintain it. We've had a really relatively robust iron ore uh, sector over the period. Um, but there was one sector in particular in Western Australia that, that sort of suffered at the hands of um, some of those trade restrictions, and that was the Western rock lobster, mm. um, where basically there was, if I'm remembering correctly, there was a, a shipment on the tarmac in China, and, and China, I think its official stance was that it had concerns over the quality. Um, so they turned that shipment back, and since then uh, they haven't taken any of our live rock lobster. So that industry has seen its export destinations now change dramatically it's it's seen the value of its exports you know more than half Mm. um and it just makes you think you know it's really important to maintain these relationships because if we don't or if if tensions ramp up and 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 you can turn off the tap there well where else can you turn off the tap Mm. so that's sort of ultimately i think the reason that our government is embracing of china i think it's in Mm. our best interest to be Mm. Mm. Um, similar topic what sort of opportunities did you sort of identify or have been identified to expand on WA's relationships with China where did you find they're kind of emerging yeah so it was interesting I spoke to a few people for this feature and and the key word in that is is probably relationships Mm -hmm. Um, at the moment we still have an economy that seems to be quite transactional and that was the opinion of the two people I spoke to which was um Michael Lin from Deloitte. Uh, he's the uh, leader of the energy resources and industrials um, sector at Deloitte for the Asia Pacific. Uh, and also Phil Turtle, who's the chair of the Asia Business Council in Western Australia. And Michael spoke pretty specific to energy, but he said that there was an opportunity for Australia to maximise its relationships with within the region, to build on the the trust and collaboration uh, rather than just exporting commodities. We could really make ourselves a one-stop shop um, as an energy provider for the Asian region. But to do that, we needed to come up with solutions across all of the value chain. And this is something that's being done really well abroad. The US has some really focused policy around this. Um, You know, the, uh, the Biden administration has been really strong on making it, making itself an attractive source of, of energy for the world and, and really strengthening that sector. And, and Michael, speaking very broadly, felt that we hadn't acted quite as, as quickly. So, yeah. There's a lot of intent on that front. There in is the a federal government. There seems to be a lot of intention and this mm. is what we want to do, but it feels like there's no sort of tangible... Yeah, I think it's about sort of that cohesion and putting together that overall picture. So uh, he spoke a little bit about this idea that, you know, we, we cover the whole value chain and that includes carbon capture. Mm. So, you know, we need to be taking every part of the, the, the chain really seriously. And if we do, then we'll be best placed to actually meet the overall energy needs of Asia, which are huge. Uh, think of the the population density in Asia. Those are huge demands, and and so obviously um, Japan's got pretty significant LNG investment off the coast of WA. Um, we know all about that. Uh, but recently, there's been some commentary, um, particularly from Impex, 
about concerns over the regulatory envi- environment, right? And maybe, um, maybe some of the domestic gas policies and things like that mm. are, are uh, leading to some reconsidering of, of future investment decisions, which mm. would be, you know, disastrous when you've got other nations that are really trying to incentivize that. Yeah, um, we have such a wealth in Western Australia of natural resources that make us a viable option and our location. Um, but the opportunity is there and we really do need to capture it was the opinion of Michael. And on the other side of it, Phil Turtle spoke on relationship building within Asia. He, he said that we were still doing things quite transactionally as well. He felt that there are opportunities for us to diversify beyond China, which yep. is a big theme. Mm. Obviously, mm. China will always be a dominant partner. Um, and I think everyone knows that. Um, but the opportunities to diversify into these growing markets, whether they're in Indonesia, South Korea, South Korea, Japan, maybe not so much Japan, but um, other places, India's growing hugely. So mm-hmm. there's opportunities to go beyond while still recognising the importance of China. Um, but he also said that uh, we could explore powerhousing, which was this this concept of taking uh, the complementary strengths of two economies. So rather than, you know, building a battery industry in, in Western Australia, as has been mooted by a few people, mm-hmm. we get the materials to a certain extent and then we have a partnership with an Asian country that has the expertise and the know-how in, in producing batteries and we, we powerhouse that jointly uh, and take on the world that way. Um, so he felt that maybe that thinking wasn't quite quite there. He encouraged all WA businesses had any export ambitions just to equip themselves, build relationships, big on building relationships and really understand their markets because you have to do that if you want to succeed. So yeah, look, it was overall a really interesting piece uh, tied into my interests. I could write chapters and chapters on this stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been great talking to you about it um, and um, getting into it. But yeah, it's um, it's an interesting state of play as it, I'm sure it will be next year when we do the feature. Yeah, definitely. Boundless. Um, Jack, thank you so much. It was great to chat with you about this. Um, you can read Jack's feature on the Business News website, businessnews.com.au. Scroll down, scroll down to the special reports tab and click through to read it there. Jack, been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Simone. Appreciate it. Cheers. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au.